say amen. Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to ask you if you would, how many of you have your paper Bible today? Paper Bibles, paper Bibles, all right. All right, turn if you would to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 12 and 13, just two verses today. And prayerfully, by God's grace, I can communicate uh, the heart of God uh, in this message in a timely manner, but yet uh, effective one. Today, I'm actually uh, reading out of a, a Bible um, that was given to me. It's, an old, it's, it's, it's worn. It's, it's used. Um, Gabe was helping us move along with, with others, which, which I'm grateful for. And I looked back. He was in my office boxing up stuff, stuff and I looked back, and I saw him looking over uh, this Bible, and it kind of brought up the, the story of it, the memory of it. Um, there was, it was given to me on December 25th, 1984. Uh, I had, I, I first gave my life to the Lord when I was nine years old, was first baptized, was baptized then. But about four years later or so, uh, is when I experienced the baptism of the Holy, Holy Spirit and evidence with speaking in other tongues. Not too long after that though, uh, engaged in, in, uh, high school years and, and kind of strayed away from the Lord, um, lived, lived backslidden, I would say. I was still going to church and doing things that a lot of church folks do, but, um, but wasn't really, um, my heart wasn't, wasn't committed to Christ like, like that first confession when I was nine or the experience I had when I was 13. And... Um, but when I was 20 years old, so just three, three years out of high school, uh, I recommitted my life to Jesus. It, it was then, actually, that I, that I really believed that Christ really had an undeniable imprint on my life, undeniable imprint. And I just had such a hunger for the word, just a desire for it and a, and a hunger for it. That was in 1984. So a fellow I went to school with by the name of Derek Elias, Elias, and during my high school years, I wasn't always the best citizen, uh, I would put it that way, um, and, and I, had, I had a few encounters with people um, in school, and Derek was on the, on the other end of one of those encounters, and he, on December 25th, he came and gave me this Bible. And from that time that we had that little encounter in high school, he, he said that he had, made a de- he had made a decision that he was going to pray for me, that Christ would really become real in my life, and, um, which I'm so grateful for. And when he heard that I recommitted my life to Christ, he came and brought me this Bible on Christmas Day. And I'll, uh, yeah, 34 years ago, I sent Derek a message last night, telling him I'm still grateful, still grateful. The word of the word of God really began and to burn in my heart. I, I had a 
Virginia thought I was getting sick and I was actually just having a real emotional moment this morning preparing because I looked through some of the notes. And I also noticed on the back of this Bible is three, four names of people that I led to Jesus in the prison. Had their number, their address, where I could still write them. When the Lord first called me to preach, nobody would let me preach anywhere. I was a skinny fella, big old afro, looked like a black Q-tip. Nobody authorized me to preach. So I would go to the prison. I would preach the gospel and lead people to Jesus. Their names are still on the back of this. And so I thought I'm going to preach out this Bible today. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll lead some prisoner here to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, 13. It's the word of the Lord. It says, for the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discern of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That, that, that scripture talks about the word of God burning in our hearts. Speaks about the word of God just infiltrating and infecting us and really finding those areas in our life that God wants to speak to and direct us through and, and guide us through. One of the things that when I first re, when I recommitted my life to the Lord and just fell in love with the scriptures, there was two passages that really spoke to me, the one that we're preaching today, and then there's one in Second Timothy chapter 3, and I think this one will be on the screen. It says, all, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The, the word gives us direction. It corrects us. It's, it tells us what God wants of us. It burns within us for that very purpose, that every one of us may be complete, entire, fully equipped for what God wants us to do. There's no training. There's no mentoring. There's no school. There's no other teachers and leaders that can more equip you for the work of God than the word of God. Nothing is more equipping and preparing you than the word of God. This is a classic text that we're speaking out of. And I'm just it's four things out of verse 12 that I'm just going to pull out real quick that talks about just four properties here. There's so many properties in the scripture, but four. One, it talks about the word being living. It's the living word. It's, it's, it's the word that brings us to life. It's the word that speaks to us and brings us out of a dead condition, revives us, brings us into a place where we now begin to learn and know the heart and the will of God. 
It's, it's because of the word of God that we're born again. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says this, for you have been born again talking about every one of us that have accepted Christ, but not to a life that will quickly end. It's a, obviously a life that's eternal. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Eternal living word of God. As the scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Can you say amen? That word is a word that was preached to you. It's living. It's a living word that brings out things that we just don't believe that's there. Things that we don't know about God. I remember uh, talking to a lady by the name of Sandy. She was one of the people on my uh, delivery uh, route when I worked for Pepsi Cola. And I talked to her often about uh, the gospel and, and about knowing Jesus. And, and she said, no, she obviously wasn't a Christian. She even described herself as, you know, I'm just a smoking, drinking, cussing uh, woman. And, uh, and, and I asked her, you know, have you read the Bible? And uh, she said, no, I haven't read the Bible. And I said, just, just give it a try. Just try the Bible. And uh, I don't know what spurned her to do it, but sure enough, one, one day uh, she told me that she had been reading the Bible and was scheduled to be baptized in one of the local churches here in town. And that's, that's what the word of God does. That's what the word of God does. It, it's, a, it's a clear signpost for us. I like the message on this in Psalm 19:7. It says, the revelation of God is whole and pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are clear and point out the right road. That's what the word does. It's living, it's alive, it's a signpost. It gives us direction, it puts us on the right road. And, and as the living word, as, as God's revelation, it speaks to us during current needs. There's nothing that you could be experiencing in this life that the word of God can't speak to. There's no thought, there's no concern, there's no anxiety, there's, there's no sin, there's, there's no uh, lack of direction. The word of God speaks to these things. It's never out of date, it's never irrelevant. The Bible is one of those things when people have conversations about the scriptures and, and they say, well, back in that day it meant that or back in this day it meant that. No, the Bible speaks in every context. It speaks to every culture. It speaks at every century. It speaks at every time and every season. It doesn't need to be updated. It doesn't need to be changed. It doesn't need to be revised. It doesn't need to have new additions. It doesn't have to be promoted as new and better and greater. The word of God speaks at all times and always speaks truth. And, and every one of us, I, I, I'm telling you, if, if you don't know this, if you just commit 12 minutes a day, for 365 days, do you know you'll get through the whole Bible in a year? Just 12 minutes a day. The number of time that you watch commercials during a one-hour show, 12 minutes a day. The number of, the number of minutes that you got to wait through a drive through to get your food, 12 minutes a day. The number, the, the number of minutes it takes you to get dressed, 12 minutes a day. And you can get through the whole Bible in a year. I'm going to challenge you starting January 1st. Make that commitment. 12 minutes a day. Just set your alarm 15 minutes earlier and just read 12 minutes a day. 
and get through the whole Bible. I can assure you it will be the best book, greatest book, most talked about book that you ever read is the, is the word of God. Read it, read it, read it from, from cover to cover. The word of God is living. The word of God is active. This word active means energy. That when you read the word, something starts to happen on the inside. It's, it's, it's effectual. It accomplished what it in, uh, intends to do. The word of God is living, but it's inactive. When you start to take in the word, it starts moving things in the right direction within you. It starts lining up your heart and lining up your mind. And, and you start to see things fall into place. Thoughts that you might have had out of context or twisted or things you didn't understand. There's the energy in the word of God that starts to bring all that together, accomplishing the very intent that the word said it would. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says this, the rain and snow come down from the heavens and stays on the ground to water the earth. They cause the rain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. Can you say amen to that? Always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. That's what the word of God does. It's energy. You can't miss it. The word of God, it's going to accomplish something for those that are believers and unbelievers. If you want to reject it, the word of God will still accomplish bringing you to that place of judgment. If you accept it, it's going to bring you to that place of eternal life. It's ever moving and active. One of my favorite stories, uh, reading about the Great Awakening, uh, George Whitfield was, uh, he was noted as the one uh, that was probably one of the leaders of the Great Awakening. The Wesleyans was, uh, Wesley Brothers was preaching uh, also at the, at the same time, or Finney, sorry, preaching at the same time. But um, there's a story about uh, when Whitfield was preaching in Brit- Bristol, England. And um, he was having multitudes of preaching. He would preach two and three times a day uh, on a Sunday and, and preach every day uh, of the week in Bristol. Many, people's, many people was coming to the Lord, and that's what spurned some of the um, great awakening. And, but there was, a, there was a group of thugs in, in Bristol uh, because so many of them were, so many of their friends and family members was starting to receive Christ because of Whitfield's preaching. But there was this group called the Hellfire Club. And they wanted to counter the things that Whitfield was doing. So they would go around to his meetings and they would mock him and and ridicule him and mock and ridicule the people that would uh, hear Whitfield preach and 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 follow after Jesus. They would they was just making a mockery of it. There was one guy in the in the club by the name of Thorpe, and uh, and what and, and during that time, uh, early days, even that went on even up to early 1900s. They would publish. Uh, the minister's sermons in some kind of circular paper or something of that nature. And, and uh, this fellow Thorpe got a hold of one of Whitfield's sermons that was published. And, uh, and he was well known to be able to, um, uh, what's the word, not mimic, I guess it's mimic, where you could mimic uh, someone and do impersonations, that's it, uh, mimic and impersonations. And so he got a hold of one of, one of uh, Whitfield's uh, published sermons. And while his fellows, his thugs was at the bar, uh, just laughing and doing their thing, he, he told them, hey, I want to I wanna, uh, impersonate old, they called uh, Whitfield Dr. Squintum, because Whitfield, Whitfield had... Um, uh, he was cross-eyed, so they would call him Doctor Squintum. And Squintum. So he said, "I want to, I want to, I want to impersonate Doctor Squintum." And so he stands up in this bar, and he starts uh, 
uh, declaring, reading this sermon, getting the same facial expressions that Whitfield did, same hand expressions and all of that. And he gets into the sermon and while he's preaching, he's starting to feel something. And but he keeps reading the sermon and keep doing it the same way. And he gets to a point to where he actually just stops and he sets down and the people ask him what's going on. And he starts shaking. He says, man, I I think what I just preached is true and it's working on me. And right there, he gave his life to Christ because the word of God is energetic, is active. It's always doing what it accomplishes. It's one of my favorite stories about the great awakening, the word of God, living, active, but it's also sharp and it's also piercing. God's purpose in the word of God is to cut us, but, but not like a mugger cuts A mugger cuts you to hurt you, but the word of God cuts us to heal us. It cuts us, cutting to cut out those things that would be contrary to the will of God and cutting out those wounds and cutting out those brokenhearted uh, events and and, and things that have had a great impact on us, cutting out uh, the word of God, taking us through, uh, cutting out the things that are contrary to the word, taking us through a surgery. The word of God is designed to be like a sword, a two-edged sword, the scripture says. Uh, Lightfoot said it like this, the word of God heals most completely where it wounds most deeply. It gives life there only where it first comes in to cut, that's where it goes in to heal. And that's exactly what the word of God does. At first, of course, it's designed to make you experience something that what we call conviction, to let you know that there's something counter to what God wants. So there's, I'm thinking something counter to what God's word says and God's will is. Even if you don't know the scriptures or you're not always sure what's right or wrong, the word of God goes in and cuts in those areas and help you recognize that this is the will of God for my life. It's sharp and it's piercing and it gets into those places that we may think we've gotten covered up and, and hidden and, and uh, pressed down. The word of God is designed to get to those very places, which leads to that fourth thing. And that's the fact that the word of God, it judges our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. It knows why we do what we do. Thoughts here is, is related to our emotions, such as anger or things that we keep hidden as a man uh, the, or, or as a woman. The word of God knows how to find those areas. Let me, let me tell you something. You might be married to someone who you say knows you the best of all. I'm here to tell you there's one who knows you better than that. And that's the word of God. The word of God knows the very things you're thinking, no matter what your wife says or your husband says to you or a friend says to you or your boss says to you, the word of God knows what you're thinking at that very moment. It's able to deal right with your thoughts, those hidden emotions, those morally questionable thoughts that you may have in your mind. The the, the translation actually of the word of, of judging and discerning here is where we use the word critic. And, uh, and, and basically what it means is, is God's word has the authority to act as a critic to our innermost feelings, our innermost thoughts, and show us where we're wrong. Wrong for the good. As James says, it gives us a mirror to look at, to see how we line up with the will of God in our life and how we're re- able to respond to that. It's not designed to embarrass us. It's not designed to make us feel bad to the point of condemnation. 
but always is designed to bring us to healing and restoration. It's active. It's living. It judges our hearts and our, and our thoughts. It's sharp and it's pierced. But there's, a, there's another side to this word. It brings us into a reckoning with the almighty God. Because of the word of God is so sharp, so clear, so precise, so living, and so active, there is nothing in your life that's hidden from him. Not a thing that's hidden. Matter of fact, listen to verse 13 again. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This, this, this is worth looking into Knowing that the word is living, knowing that it's penetrating, knowing that it's discerning. But it's because of all that, that we as a people of God have to come into account before the Lord. And none of us will go before the Lord and, and with the idea that we're going to deceive God or that we're going to fool him. Or, or, or just maybe what we know about ourselves or what we think about ourselves is the same thing God thinks about us or God knows. That's not the case. There is nothing about our life at all that's ever hidden from God. Can I tell you, there's the positive side to that. That's why there's never a reason why any of us should ever be afraid to go before God in prayer. Because he already knows everything. There's nothing to hide. There's nothing to try to worry about. There's not even a reason for us to feel like I'm going to be embarrassed before God. God already sees. God already knows. God is the one that oversees all things. Everything is before him. This, this verse actually means that everything is laid bare. It's, it's, it's all exposed. There's a few metaphors that's used by commentators to, to kind of uh, uh, bring, to bring out what the meaning of this is. Uh, some just simply mean that, that it's, it's just laid bare. It's like being uh, naked and, and fully revealed before God. Uh, some uh, metaphors. This has been used in a manner to, to say it's like your neck being bare, like when you're going before those that would go under the guillotine or, or unfortunately would go before those who were going to uh, uh, take their heads off. They made sure that their neck was clear, that it was whatever the judgment was coming, they could execute it. But then there's another metaphor that I, I seem to think if when I connect it with other verses, that might seem to be a little bit better. It, it, it's almost like the metaphor of when a wrestler has you in a, in a hold or a position that you can't get out of. Like he has you in, in some kind of neck hold uh, where he's got a good grip on you and you can't get out. Kind of, I guess, in the U, U, UFC uh, uh, terms would be in some kind of uh, position to where you tap out. Well, you realize I'm, I've been gotten. I've been, I've been taken. I can't get out of this. I can't move from this. I can't run from this. So I just submit and give up. And that's what the word of God wants us to do. The word of God wants us to come out with our hands up. We, we can't run from God. We can't hide from God. We can't deceive God. We can't fool from God. It's, it's better. I guess the best illustration for me right now would be to take all my clothes off and just stand here in front of y'all just like this. Would, you, would, y'all, would, that, would y'all get the, would that make sense? You, you get the picture that way. Would that help? Or you understand? We just come out bare, naked and exposed before God. Now for some folks, that might be a frightening place. But for many of us, 
it's the most safest, loving place. Because that's the place where God extends his love, a God who knows all. And that's the wonderful thing I like about this. People can say things about you and speculate things about you, and they don't even know everything about you. And God has all the evidence and still loves you entirely, entirely and completely. One of the best places to be is to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I come up with my hands up. No tricks, no lies, no deceits. I come and I surrender my life to you. That's when we can come to reckoning. You know, the scripture says that perfect love casts out all fear. When you engage in that kind of loving relationship with the Lord, you're not worried about judgment. You're not worried about last days. You're not worried about laying your head down at night thinking, well, what if the Lord comes and I'm not ready? You're not worried about that because you've already presented your life naked, bare, and exposed before him. The word of God brings us to that point. And now I'm just going to give you a few things that, that I pray will encourage you uh, in, that, in that process. Tozer said this first. Let me, let me read this, this quote. Uh, and he was playing off of Proverbs 15.3. He says, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere observing the wicked and the good. Tozer said it like this. He summed it up in kind of a cadence. He said, God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, every polarity and all polarities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven and hell, all is seen and known by God. God knows it knows it all. It's a sobering truth uh, indeed. And, and the language here forces us to imagine ourselves in that position before the Lord. But yet they're exposed and they're naked and they're feeling helpless, but realizing that's the place of God's grip. That's the place where God's eyes is upon us for all good things and all blessings and all the goodness that he wants to lay upon us. That's the place where we don't have to try to be hypocritical or don't have to try to fool God. It's the place where we can come before him and declare our sinfulness and yet trust his righteousness. We can declare the things that are in our heart, the troubling things, the anxiety, and yet know that he gives us a peace that goes beyond understanding. It's there that we can experience the fullness of joy. I, um, I titled this sermon, Word Up. And uh, some of you um, may remember this group called Cameo. And they used to sing this song, Word Up, and it kind of started like an urban slang. It, it, it kind of means yes when, when, um, when if somebody says, hey, man, do you want to go with me to get an In-N-Out burger? Man, word up. I mean, that's like, yes, uh, let's, let's do it. Or, or if, if I say, hey, man, there's going to be a party at my house and it's, it's going to be going down. Your response is word up. You know, that would, yep, that's it. It's, it's a response of agreement. That, that's truth. No joking in that. 
And, and I want to give you some things that you can say amen to or you can say word up to because, because here, here's the issue. Because we know what God's word does and for those who reject him, it can bring them to a, to a tough place. But for those who love him, embracing the word of God will only bring us to a good place. And, and I'll give these to you quickly. The first one is this, treasure God's word above worldly counsel and personal willpower. And I wanted to specifically word that worldly counsel, because oftentimes we seek advice and, and we look for advice and, and, uh, and, and many times the very thing that we need to hear is right there in the word of God. It doesn't speak against counsel. It doesn't speak against advice. But when you search that word daily, there's a passage that I really, really love, and it's actually in the book of Job, and it, and it talks about uh, not knowing what to do. And in that passage, uh, the, the writer talks about there's times, though, even when I go to sleep, that the very things that I've heard from the Lord and read from the Lord continue to download in me that when I wake up in the morning, I know exactly what to do. It's something about the word of God that continues to speak to us. That's the worldly counsel. And sometimes against our own personal willpower. Sometimes it's our own mind, our own will, our own thinking, and, and we put forth the effort on what we think is best and hope for the best end. But I'm going to ask you to treasure up the word of God in your heart. The scripture says, when you do that, that you may not sin against him. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. The word is a constant reminder. Instead of you trying to battle against sin on your own, you can have the word of God in your heart. And the word of God will fight that battle for you like a two-edged sword. Can you say amen? The second thing is since we all have to give account to God, we must be diligent to have our hearts right before him. That, that's the truth. We got to give account. There's no way around that. No way around that at, at, at all. We're all going to face judgment. The scripture says it's appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. Once to die and then the judgment. And there's nobody you got to give account to but to the Lord. Nobody you got to give account to but him. He's, gonna, he's the one that's going to reckon and set things right. And so it means much for us to allow the word of God to, allow, to, to give us such direction in our life that we live to please him. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. It says, so whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now that doesn't miss anybody. We're all going to have to stand before him and Christ will judge our life. Whether what we've done has been good unto him and pleasing God or what we've done have been, has been evil. So we give account to God. We can do that better. And more precisely, and actually more perfectly, by allowing the word of God to be the guide of our life and of our heart. And here's the last thing. Judge your life by the word, not by what others may say. Judge your life by the word, not what others may say. People, people can say, all, listen, people, people, listen, we live in a culture where people can go, you, you, you know, it's a love-hate relationship in this culture. If people love you, no matter how horrible you are, man, you're awesome, you're great, you're wonderful because you've done something good for them. 
no matter how awful of a person you are, man, he's awesome, he's amazing, he's great. And then on the other side of the coin, for some reason or another, if you offend somebody, you're terrible, you're this, you're that. Listen, I've told you once before, people who judge you don't matter. And the people who matter don't judge you. But you don't live by that. You don't even live by that. You live by what the Lord has to say about you. That's the most important thing. Listen to what Jesus said. And this is out of the message. It says, Jesus summed it up. I'm sorry. Jesus summed it all up when he cried out, whoever believes in me, believes not just in me, but in the one who sent me. Whoever looks at me, sorry. Whoever looks at me is looking in fact at the one who sent me. I am light that has come into the world so that all who believe in me won't have to stay any longer in the dark. I love that. He's light. He's bringing us out of darkness. But listen, if anyone hears what I'm saying and doesn't take it seriously, I don't reject him. I didn't come to reject the world. I came to save the world. But you need to know that whoever puts me off, refusing to take in what I'm saying, what I'm teaching, what I'm preaching, the word is willfully choosing rejection. The word, the word made flesh that I have spoken and that I am, that word and no other is the last word. The word of God is the last word. Not what others may say, not your trophies, not your awards, not the pictures on your wall, not the people you've hung out with, not the people you spend time with, not the people who know you and not the people you know. The last word is when you face the almighty God and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the last word. D.L. Moody said this, the scriptures were not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. I'm going to ask the team to come. I want want you to look at one more passage while they're coming. And that's in Matthew chapter seven, verse 24 through 27 with understanding what all the properties of the word is like and what God is speaking. There's just a challenge I need to give you. And, and that is whether you're basing your life on the word of God or you're basing your life maybe on maybe some religious upbringing or some Christian upbringing over the years. Maybe because your parents raised you in the church or uh, maybe you've just been coming to church all your life and, and you think that's good enough or... or um, or maybe because you feel like you're a good person or, or, or maybe you just, you, you feel like you've done enough that um, when you stand before the Lord, it, you, you can think of great things that you've done and, and of course God ought to agree with them also. If you're building your life on any of those things, I'm here to tell you, that's sinking sand. That's sinking sand. The only thing that we can build our life on is the word. You, you, you probably are familiar with this passage but I actually love the story. It's as clear as clear can be. It says, therefore, who, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, hears the word, acts on them, will be like a wise man, wise woman, who built his house on the rock. This is what's inevitable in this life. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. The normal things that happen in life have happened, will happen, will continue to happen until the Lord comes, but your life can still stand strong and firm 
if it's built on the rock, the word of God. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, I want you to notice something. The house got built. He completed the house. He completed his life. He done all the things he wanted to do. He finished it. He, he, he had a moment when he says, everything is great. But then life happened. Rain fell, rivers rose, winds blew and pounded on that house and it collapsed and great was the crash of it. There's only one way to know for sure that we can stand before the Lord in judgment. And that's if I know for sure I believe the word of God and what it says about Jesus Christ. That he died on the cross for my sins. My sins. And because Jesus died on that cross, I am forgiven. And my response to that is accepting him as Savior and Lord and living my life according to his word. That's the foundation. That's the rock. That's the certainty. That's the assurance. That's the word up. That's the